0: And as Daniel Webster put it, "There is nothing so powerful as truth, and often, nothing so strange." John A. Keel.
1: Violin Vice contains graphic and/or explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Everybody, welcome to and Vice podcast. I am John John,
1: and I'm Audie. Hello. If you guys could do us a favor, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button. We'd really, really appreciate it. And if you guys haven't noticed, John John's doing the quote today. Ooh. I did the
0: quote today. And
1: why is that?
0: I am presenting the information this time.
1: Because we're covering a cryptid! Mothman! Woo!
0: Lengthy one. This is one of them, like, Sasquatch, many many people know of them type cryptids. Not some of those weird, obscure, small-scale stuff. This is, we're in the big leagues now.
1: Yeah, he has, like, a major occult following on Reddit, and then there's a ton of other information, and he's been cited in multiple states, but... Today we're just getting into the origins, right? Oh, yeah. Can you take a guess
0: at what it is?
1: We announced it. Well, well, yeah, but... Mothman! That's Mothman.
0: And not the Batman supervillain who is just Batman but with an affinity for brighter lights. (laughs) This is something entirely different. It is potentially scary.
1: I'm pretty sure Mothman had his own, like, comic book for a while, didn't he? No,
0: he, he was a villain to to Batman. Like, he's in the rogues' gallery of villains. Not more of the, like, top-tier stuff, but, like, on the same level as Man-Bat, where it's just <laughs> a mutated man and a bat. So, sort of like that amazing Spider-Man, the lizard, but with a bat instead.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha.
0: But this guy is... In the comics, it's basically just full-size gadgets of Batman, except he has like more flapping in his cape
1: thing to make him
0: actually fly a
1: bit. Nice. Nice, nice, mm. nice.
0: But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about this giant bug humanoid creature. Ooh. hmm Now, the thing is, this had to start somewhere. And where I started was West Virginia, on them country roads, take me home to the place where I belong. Uh, at specifically, Point Pleasant. So, kind of like a bit of context for this, this is a population as of 2,020 census of 4,101 people.
1: So about so at, twice the size of our hometown.
0: Yeah. It's not not a big town. It is... I think some people might have even heard of the town Point Pleasant at some point in their time. But I know I've come across it more than once for a small town. However, there's a Native American tribe, the Shawnee, which had established a town called Upper Shawnee Town before uh, 1749. So in the second half of 1749, a French explorer named... Pierre-Joseph Celeron, I'm thinking because he's French, that's how we're pronouncing it. We'll see. Buried a lead plaque at the meeting of the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers, where Point Pleasant is now located, to establish French sovereignty over the Ohio Valley.
1: I love plaques. They're so interesting to read. But also, you said his name with such confidence. I'm sure it's right.
0: I it, it's I think it's just commitment that really sells it. It could be completely wrong, but people <laughs> like commitment. Yep. Now, however, Celeron's expedition was a failure as most of the tribes in the area were very pro-British and British representatives refused to leave the area. So it's just like a guy said... This is now French land. And everybody else is just like, nah. And he's just like, oh, okay. So, like, that's the long and short of what happened. But on October 10th, 1774, there was a battle for the future of the town called the Battle of Point Pleasant, where Virginia militiamen defeated the Shawnee and Mingo Warriors. Yeah, Mingo Warriors? I think that's Mingo. The event is celebrated locally as the first battle of the american revolution and senate authorized a monument stating such in 1908 but most historians do not consider this battle as part of the american revolution because it wasn't against the british it was against the natives and that's kind of like Ugh, we're not sure but fun facts about point pleasant mark twain's grandparents were early settlers so it's no surprise Laura's rich in this town. So, like, that's where his grandparents came from. The designer of the Jeep is from Point Pleasant, and his name is Carl Probst. And, of course, the origin story of today's episode was also born in Point Pleasant. So, for a small town, it's got a pretty rich history. I'd say so. Yeah. Pretty rich. Now... Let's get into the birth of the Mothman.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: Mm-hmm. So now we know roughly where this whole thing started. So on November 12th of 1966 in Clendenin, West Virginia, another name I'm really hoping I said correctly. We'll see. A group of grave diggers working in a cemetery spotted something strange. So as they were working, they glanced up as something huge soared over their heads. It was a massive figure that was moving rapidly from tree to tree. The gravediggers would later describe this figure as a brown human being. Now, just three days after the gravediggers' initial report in nearby Point Pleasant, West Virginia, two couples noticed a white-winged creature about six or seven feet tall Standing in front of the car that they were all sitting in. Now, granted, that's not very unusual for, like, two couples to be in a car, but, like, these days it's kind of strange. Unless it's, like, an Uber. But that was kind of the thing. Yeah. Like, this is fully fitting, like, the 1950s horror movie, where they're, like, two hip, groovy people hanging out in a car when this monster is suddenly in front of their car, and they're like, Ah! So yeah, already hitting some tropey vibes. I like it. So eyewitnesses Roger Scarberry and Steve Mallett told the local paper, the Point Pleasant Register, that the beast had bright red eyes about six inches apart, a wingspan of ten feet, and the apparent urge to avoid the bright headlights of the car.
1: So... Just kind of recapping here: six to seven foot tall man like creature, mm-hmm. red eyes, ten foot yeah. wingspan. Yeah, and he doesn't like light.
0: He avoided the lights, which I was gonna say is
1: It It is very un-moth-like.
0: But if he's part person, maybe it's just like it's too tempting. I need to go away. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So according to the witnesses. This creature was able to fly at incredible speeds, perhaps as fast as 100 miles per hour. Definitely not an exaggeration at all. Probably is. All of them agreed that the beast was a clumsy runner on the ground, though. Which, I mean, if you're running with huge wings, you're going to bump into stuff.
1: And you're not that aerodynamic running. I mean, no. assuming that the wings are still out. Mm-hmm.
0: So they knew this only because it allegedly chased their vehicle to the outskirts of town in the air, then scuttled into a nearby field and disappeared. Knowing how absurd this must have sounded to a local paper in a small Appalachian community in the 1960s, Scarberry insisted that the apparition couldn't have been a figment of his imagination. He assured the paper, "'If I had seen it well by myself,' I wouldn't have said anything, but there were four of us who saw it. At first, reporters were reasonably skeptical. In the papers, they called the Mothman a bird and a mysterious creature. However, they didn't print Mallet's description. It was like a man with wings. But more and more sightings were reported in the Point Pleasant area over the next year as the legend of the Mothman took shape. The Gettysburg Times reported eight additional sightings in the short span of three days after the first claims. This included two volunteer firefighters who said they saw a very large bird with large red eyes. Newell Partridge, a resident of Salem, West Virginia, also a super creepy town with lots of fun lore, claimed that he saw strange patterns appearing on his television screen one night, followed by a mysterious sound just outside of his home. That could be unrelated. Shining a flashlight toward the direction of the noise, Partridge supposedly witnessed two red eyes resembling bicycle reflectors looking back at him. Now it's not unrelated. Now this anecdote remains a popular one in the Mothman mythos, especially since it allegedly led to the disappearance of Partridge's dog. To this day, some still believe that the fearsome beast took his beloved pet.
1: I believe it was a German Shepherd if I remember right. And it's like the only time that the Mothman was known to eat uh meat. Huh.
0: I I didn't know that. Yeah. I I just I see I've seen this stuff here, but I don't I didn't know it ate a dog.
1: That that's what they assumed it did, but Oh.
0: Or it just wanted a pet.
1: Possibly. I mean, Mothman gets lonely. There's there's a lot of poems on Reddit about the lonely Mothman. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That makes sense for the internet. All right, on to the next major event. This is the Silver Bridge Collapse. On December 15th of 1967, just over a year after the first Mothman sighting, traffic was bad on the Silver Bridge. Originally built in 1928 to connect Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to... Gallipolis, that sounds Greek. Why is that in Ohio? But the bridge was packed with cars. Now this placed a strain on the bridge, which had been built in a time when cars were lighter. The bottle T had weighed just 1,500 pounds, which is a modest sum compared to the 1967 average for a car, which is... 4,000 pounds. They aren't that heavy anymore, either. Everything was made out of, like, thick metal at that point. That's crazy. But yeah, so the bridge's engineers hadn't been particularly imaginative, nor had they been especially cautious while creating the structure. Uh, the bridge's design featured very little redundancy, meaning that if one part failed... There was almost nothing in place to prevent other parts from falling as well.
1: That's kind of really unsafe. Yeah, you know, well,
0: Ohio in the early 1900s, before, like, cars were heavy. You understand it. Things were limited. It wasn't like Cleveland, Chicago, or New York,
1: so jumping
0: stuff out there.
1: Jumping back a few episodes, maybe that's how all the bridge thieves stole the bridges. They just
0: took bridges that were just already kind of poorly
1: structured? Yeah, and then took them apart.
0: Uh, that could work. Because like if it's just one thing fails and it's like a domino effect, like t- taking it apart could be a lot faster. You might have a point. Anyway, now on that cold December day... Which, as we recall, was I think the 15th. That is exactly what happened with the bridge. It had failed and collapsed. Without warning, a single eye bar near the top of the bridge on the Ohio side cracked. The chain snapped, and the bridge, its careful equilibrium disturbed, fell to pieces, plunging cars and pedestrians into the icy waters of the Ohio River below. 46 people died, either by drowning or being crushed by the wreckage. Following the Mothman sightings, the bridge collapse was the second terrible and bizarre thing to put Point Pleasant on the map in a year's time, so it didn't take long for some to connect the two. In addition, many witnesses reported seeing Mothman right before the bridge fell. Mm Mm-hmm. So.
1: Interesting.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Now, as you'll recall, at the beginning of this episode, there is this quote by a, a Mr. Keel. Well, he's known for doing these prophecies about Mothman. So, let's get into some of his background and where these prophecies have come from and whatnot. So, we can dive right into this strange fellow. So, Keel. Was born in Hornell, New York, the son of a small time band leader, which could be, I think, like one of those big bopper bands. I'm not really sure by band leader, but could be a marching band. And I know, I'm pretty sure by just mentioning that, dad's probably starting to sing the song he always sings when bands are mentioned.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you
0: remember, Do you remember that one?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, from mm-hmm. Music Man. Mm-hmm. The 76 trombones and mid parade.
0: Yep, that's the one. Yep. Yeah, he's probably on that. Well, anyway, his parents separated, and he was raised by his grandparents. He was interested in magic and had his first story published in a magician's magazine at age 12. He left school at the age of 16 after taking all the science courses. So he was, he was way into, like, magic. Uh, that, was, that was what he was up to. I don't know if that adds to his credibility or not, but we'll see. Anyway, he worked as a freelance contributor to newspapers, script writer for local radio and television outlets, and author of pulp articles such as Are You a Repressed Sex Fiend? He served in the U.S. Army during the Korean War on the staff of the American Forces Network at Frankfurt, Germany, he claimed that while in the army, he was trained in psychological warfare as a propaganda writer. Now, Kiel worked as a freelance contributor to newspapers, was a scriptwriter for local radio and television outlets, and an author of pulp articles such as, Are You a Repressed Sex Fiend? Interesting choice. He served in the U.S. Army during the Korean War on the staff of the American Forces Network at Frankfurt, Germany, which... I have only been to at an airport and haven't seen the rest of it. It's a nice airport, though, but I guess.
1: Matt and I want to go back to Germany, too.
0: That would be nice. I, haven't, I would have liked to explore it, but we had like a half-hour layover there, and I was just like, ugh. Couldn't even enjoy any of like... It's called Frankfurt. You have to try the Frankfurters.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: That's, that's what you're supposed to do there. Anyway, while serving in the army, he claimed that while there, he was trained in psychological warfare as a propaganda writer. Which kind of makes sense. After leaving the military, though, he worked as a foreign radio correspondent in Paris, Berlin, Rome, and Egypt. Now, in 1957, he published... Jadoo, a book describing his time in Egypt and India investigating the Indian rope trick and the legendary Yeti. It's the Himalayan Bigfoot, if you don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, he was in Monsters, Inc.
0: Yeah. Well, the Abominable Snowman. That's, oh, yeah. That's what a Yeti is. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Now, in 1966, though... He produced the spy and superhero spoof novel, The Fickle Finger of Fate. Influenced by writers such as Charles Fort, he began contributing articles to Flying Saucer Review and took up investigating UFOs and assorted Fortiana as a full time pursuit. I don't know what Fortiana is. Do you know?
1: I'm unsure either.
0: I don't know. Well, he, he started investigating that. That would be, I don't know, maybe it's strange fauna or cryptids. Anyway, Keel analyzed what he called windows and waves, or flaps as they are often called, of reported UFO events, concluding that a disproportionate number occurred on Wednesdays and Saturdays. A member of the screenwriters guild, Keel reportedly wrote scripts for Get Smart, The Monkeys, Mac and Meyer for Hire, and Lost in Space. So like for those TV shows at that time, he was one of like the people that would help write for those shows.
1: Nice. Yeah.
0: I mean, he's kind of got his toes dipped in. A mix of different things. Yeah. Anyway, this one's kind of an interesting one. In 1967, Keel popularized the term Men in Black in an article for the men's adventure magazine Saga entitled UFO Agents of Terror. So, the Men in Black movies probably wouldn't have been called that if it wasn't for him. Pretty Nice.
1: Who knew? Yeah, I want to cover them in In Black, too. It would
0: be interesting, but I feel like if we do, they might come
1: for us. Yeah, we'll see.
0: Well, that Fut- would be interesting in and of itself, but...
1: Future topics, possibly. Future topics, yes. Now, his
0: 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, was Keel's account of his investigation into alleged sightings in and around Point Pleasant, West Virginia, of a huge winged creature called Mothman. The book combines Keel's account of receiving strange phone calls with reports of mutilated pets and culminates with the December 15, 1967 collapse of the Silver Bridge across the Ohio River. So yeah, he's part of what connected those two events together and just... Consolidated all of it into one particular book. Now the book was widely popularized as the basis of a two thousand and two film of the same name, starring Richard Gere, Will Patton, Laura Linney, and Alan Bates. Now Gere and Bates played two parts of Keel's personality. Bates's character was Leek, which was just Keel spelled backwards, and Gere's character worked for a newspaper. John Klein, which is also a play on Keel's name. So they split Keel into two parts to make it into a movie, which is, I guess, a way to do that. Now, in May, June ish of 2002, issue of Skeptical Inquirer, journalist John C. Sherwood. A former business associate of UFO researcher Gray Barker published an analysis of private letters between Keel and Barker during the period of Keel's investigation. In the article, Gray Barker's Book of Bunk. Sherwood reported finding significant differences between what Keel wrote at the time of his investigation and what he wrote in his first book about the Mothman reports, which was raising questions about the book's accuracy.
1: So Should that have, they think they could have forged it, or exaggerated it. Like he, he might have
0: exaggerated stuff to make it more monetarily valuable. Nice. hmm But... Sherwood did also report that Keel, who was well known for writing humorous and outrageous letters to friends and associates, would not assist him in clarifying these differences either. So, it's just like, Sherwood's asking Keel, hey, which is the exaggerations and which was the actual, like, account, and he's just like, I'll let you decide on your own.
1: Speaking about monetary investments and everything... Why don't we take a word from our sponsors? Woo!
0: Woohoo, sponsors!
1: Hey, do you love gold jewelry that has meaning? Do you want to emphasize your beauty and uniqueness? Check out liberta That's libertabrillare.com. That's L I B E R T A B R I L L A R E.com. They have a great selection of 18 karat gold plated jewelry. At an affordable price. I personally got the Yasami, a snake, and Issa, and I absolutely love them. Go to Libertabrilliere.com and use code V I C E all caps, for 50% off. That's right, 50% off, all caps on the vice. And stay sparkly, darling.
0: Well, now we get to the more... I guess realistic side of this story I mean we got this like where this possibly could come from most realistic possibly sightings some guy who gathered the most information on it now what it could have been Well, we'll start with some craziness because you know Kind of eased into the most likely. Of course. Go, Go with the fun stuff first. For sure. So first, it is possibly an alien creature. Seeing that Kiel has been an investigator of UFO sightings and a lot of people that were investigating cryptids were also investigating UFOs. It was natural for these two to combine.
1: And around that time that you know he started, UFOs were definitely popular, and that's when the sightings kind of really started and took off in the media.
0: Mm. Hmm. Well, like nineteen forty-five, not too long before that was the Roswell, New Mexico stuff. Ooh. Was it forty-five?
1: I'm I'm not, I'm not F- sure. 54. I thought I thought it was like early like fifties through the seventies where it was the big uh, alien boom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Correct us if I'm wrong. You can send emails to violinvice at gmail.com.
0: We would like to be correct. Please help us be that way. Anyway, could be some sort of UFO-related event. So many people would have claimed to have witnessed UFO sightings and paranormal experiences during that Mothman time in Point Pleasant, leading many to believe that Mothman could just be an extraterrestrial creature. The arrival of the mysterious Indrid Cold, also known as the Grinning Man, seems to give this theory some foundation. On November 2nd of 1966, ten days before the first Mothman sighting, Woodrow Ehrenberger was driving back to his home in Mineral Wells, West Virginia, still in West Virginia, when he was cut off by what he thought was a car. The vehicle forced him to slow down and then pull over on the side of the road. When he got closer, he realized that the contraption was not a car, but a strange craft that resembled a kerosene
1: lamp chimney.
0: Now, I don't exactly know what that would look like. Do you know, Audie?
1: A kerosene lamp chimney? Yes. So, the kerosene lamps, those are like the lamps that kind of have that bevel hourglass shape with a uh, flame popping up underneath it. So I'm assuming the chimney, it would be like the top part, and sometimes that would have a glow, but I don't mm-hmm. take my word for that, I guess. I'm, I'm not quite sure from that de- uh, that description
0: what they mean. I don't know. No, I did just look up what that was because I was confused about what it is, and it's just the glass part of a kerosene lamp, so it essentially would look like A cylindrical tube that had hips for days. Nice. So it's got that wide bottom, but still cylindrical ends and stuff like that.
1: Gotcha. So I was pretty right on my first guess. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, a figure then exited the craft and walked to his car. How bizarre. The figure looked very human in appearance and was wearing a coat... That was a metallic blue color. He spoke to Woodrow and told him that he meant him no harm. Live long and prosper.
1: Wait, wait, wait. So potentially Mothman spoke to somebody?
0: Uh, This is the grinning man who was like, this was ten days before the first Mothman sighting. Gotcha. Possibly related. Ooh. But yes, he was one of those aliens that came up and said, we mean you no harm. Now, strangely, the man did not move his lips, and his mouth remained fixed in its smile, which later led people to call him the Grinning Man. Now, Woodrow realized that the man was speaking to him telepathically, somehow. The man introduced himself as Indrid Cold, and told Woodrow that he was from a different galaxy. They conversed for nearly ten minutes before the strange man returned to his craft. Before he left, he told Woodrow to report his experience to the authorities. Woodrow's story was published and corroborated by several witnesses who saw him pulled over on the side of the road and talk to a strange man. Several of the witnesses were even able to describe the odd craft. Now others who saw the Mothman were questioned by a strange men in black with pale, translucent skin. They were asked if they had witnessed the Mothman, and if so, what they had specifically seen. Many people reported that they talked in a strange, almost robotic tone that made them nervous. Anyone who was questioned and who had, in fact, seen something related to the Mothman was told to remain quiet on the subject, Several of the witnesses received anonymous threatening phone calls that warned them not to speak about the Mothman. Extraterrestrial enthusiasts claim that the descriptions of these strange men match those of an alien species. Now, the sightings of these strange men combined with the Mothman leads many to believe that the Mothman may be an extra extraterrestrial creature that somehow found its way to Earth. So... Not like a communicable alien itself. Again, I'm trying to frame this in the right kind of way. These men in black come and say, like, did you see this creature? Don't tell anybody. And this grinning man that was seen before could possibly be the owner of this creature that is the Mothman. So it's sort of like a wild animal from a different galaxy that actually got brought to Earth and then accidentally released into the wild, and now they're trying to capture it, bring it back. I think that's the story that this is
1: that's, describing. That sounds about right. It's interesting that the Men in Black got involved, though. Well, I mean,
0: alien stuff being involved almost always would include Men in Black in some capacity. Like, as funny as the movies are, that is basically what the conspiracy of Men in Black is that they're doing. They're just going to these places and investigating alien phenomena and just removing it from the public eye. And keeping it from being seen. Yeah. So that's theory number one. It's an alien creature that escaped from its alien zoo, maybe. Theory number two. Also strange. Getting closer to realistic, though. Now, it could be that it is a mutated monster due to TNT in the area. Strange kind of take, I know. Who would think that explosives and would create monsters, but I think it's more related to explosive and nuclear waste. Now, here's, here's what the theory is. Now, others who believe in the Mothman prefer a more scientific approach than just, it is an alien zoo escapee. Their theories about the Mothman's origins are largely influenced by the home of the creature, the TNT area. Now, the TNT area was constructed during World War II. It was situated near a large wildlife preservation area, ensuring that the area was remote and rarely frequented. Now, the TNT area is comprised of many miles of igloo-type concrete domes. Uh, The military used these spaces to create and store weapons of mass destruction. So, nukes, bombs, missiles, those sort of things from World War II.
1: I was gonna say because TNT in itself doesn't usually have like any mutative chemicals mm-hmm. like it's just an explosive. But if that this was where they were storing like the test bombs or like test chemicals mm-hmm. for creating the yeah the bomb, like that would make more sense.
0: I think it was more like just a different way of saying the area where they hide explosives.
1: That that would it's make more that- sense. Yeah.
0: TNT is explosive, that's the TNT area. Don't go near it, you could explode. You could also have nukes and other stuff like that. Now yeah. Since this is post-World War Two, there's a lot of nukes, and they aren't really doing anything with them, which is great, but also problematic, maybe. Because after the war, the site was abandoned, and there many toxic substances from these weapons which also includes napalm and stuff like that, that were stored, leaked out into the surrounding forest area. It's sort of like a Chernobyl mutation effect, is what this is leaning towards. So there are some that believe that the Mothman was affected by these chemicals. They believe that somehow a creature's DNA was fused with toxic chemicals and somehow mutated into the strange humanoid creature. Those who believe this think Mothman is our own doing. It was our hubris all along and believe we should deal with the consequences accordingly. So it started off scientific and then it went to comic books.
1: Yeah, basically where the superhero falls into a vat of like chemicals or whatnot and then gets powers. A
0: moth that happened to have bit a human recently mixed with gamma radiation turns into the flying mothman. Pretty much. Yeah, that's kind of what they're going for. and I mean, Chernobyl's probably would be the most likely of those weird mutation stuff, and all we have is iridescently glow-in-the-dark wolves out of that. And even that's kind of on the minor side.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, you get the occasional two-headed deer or whatnot, or two-headed some dog. Some of it.
0: I think there was one where there was, like, a like a headless deer, where it was like, just an esophagus or something like that that I saw. Mm-hmm. But that could just be very poorly angled camera. Who knows? True. Anyway, now to get to the more likely of things. So last was science fictiony y still. Slightly more realistic, maybe. I actually doubt that's more realistic. Anyway. Now, Dr. Robert L. Smith, who is an associate professor of wildlife biology at West Virginia University, dismissed the notion that a flying monster was staking out the town. Instead, he attributed the sightings to a sandhill crane, which we have some of those in Wisconsin. Which stands almost as tall as the average man and has bright red flesh around its eyes. Yeah, this is it's it's a crane. It's tall. They're pretty it's, birds, but yeah, like
1: huge, huge wingspan. Um, mm-hmm. Tall birds, taller than me. Yeah,
0: usually, and it's just yeah. You forget that big birds mean big wings, but this explanation was pretty compelling, especially given the number of early reports that had described the creature as bird-like. Uh, yeah, it kind of seems less like a human moth thing. Now, some people hypothesized that this crane was just deformed, especially if it resided in the TNT area, so kind of mixing with the previous one. A name that locals gave to a series of nearby bunkers that were once used for manufacturing munitions during World War Two. So that's.
1: That's where the TNT yeah, the TNT area. Areas.
0: Storage and production, at some point. Yep. Now it's been suggested that these bunkers have leaked more ma- toxic materials into neighboring wildlife preserve and all that stuff, and like they think. It is. Misidentification, but there's been minor mutations in the Sandhill Crane population. Now, what I think is probably the most likely. However, flying part, I don't think works. But if I really, really think about it, it could. It could just be a very dedicated prankster.
1: Like you with Bigfoot.
0: Yeah, right. Like it works. Like one of the descriptions that there's big red eyes six inches apart that reminded them of the reflector lights on bicycles. Yeah. Could have been freaking reflector lights of bicycles. I All know right.
1: that a ton of people cosplay as, cosplay as Mothman too. So.
0: Yeah, it's not as difficult as people may think. Now, this theory suggests that the creation of Mothman was the work of one very committed prankster who went so far as to hide in the TNT, where some of the sightings occurred. Now, this theory posits that when the national press ran the Mothman story, people who lived in Point Pleasant began to panic. Locals became convinced they were seeing the Mothman in birds and other large animals even after the prankster had given up on the joke. It's worth noting that the Mothman legend bears a resemblance to several demon archetypes found among those who have experienced sleep paralysis, which we did an episode on. That's still pretty cool how it still keeps popping up in places. Which may suggest that the visions are nothing more than the embodiment of typical human fears, pulled from the depths of the unconscious and grafted onto real-life animal sightings when people panic. And, yeah, that kind of tends to happen. You think something's in the area, you're going to be expecting to see it, so you misidentify things as what you want to see. And then there are the paranormal explanations, a morass of complicated theories that weave together aliens, UFOs, and precognition. These theories paint the Mothman as either a harbinger of doom or, more sinisterly, its cause. A legend that has its roots in the tragedy that befell point of pleasure shortly after the Mothman arrived. So that Silverbridge thing. So it could have started off as a prank, and then people were thinking it was real. The hysteria went out of control, and it became its own thing because of it.
1: Yeah, as hysteria uh, usually happens. Yeah. So
0: that's what it probably could have been. That's the most likely, I think. Which one do you think is most likely, Adi?
1: I think the bird is most likely. Because, I mean, if the tail feathers are down, it can kind of look more humanoid, too. Um, mm-hmm. But the pr- prank idea is funny just because I know if you, you've done it before. <laughs> so, yeah, I
0: mean, people thought I was Bigfoot. And all I did was just walk across the road at night. And in a gorilla costume. costume so And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take much, people.
1: Now, now that that story is out, it's just going to reference in, like, every episode. It's,
0: <laughs> if it's relevant, you don't need to force it. That, <laughs> okay, I was pretty pissed after that, so, you know. <laughs> you gotta, maybe not keep pushing that button.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Yeah,
0: I don't know. Huh. Now, those are the possible identification options. There is also the spiritual explanations of what it is. The old gypsy woman type things, the Indian burial ground type curse things. This explanation is really fun and I'm glad we get to go a little bit more deep into it. Now, this involves more history of Point Pleasant and how it could just be that Mothman is the embodiment of a 200-year-old curse
1: a curse
0: yeah like like straight up curse but not like from a gypsy woman it would be from the Native Americans so like this curse can be traced back to the death of Chief Cornstalk and several of his tribesmen now Cornstalk is the English translation I'm gonna give a shot and how it's possibly pronounced. Now, this is Chief kaih tuch gua
1: Do you want to spell it?
0: It is K-E-I-G-H dash. T-U-G-H dash. G-U-A. So, kaih tu gua probably made, went more Scandinavian than I was with anything. I, I don't know how to do these ones, but we're, we gave it a try. Let me know if you can do better. So, Chief Cornstalk wanted peace with the American colonists who were trying to occupy the land of seven different Native American nations. Unfortunately, there were many on both sides who opposed this idea. Now, on November 7th of 1777, Chief Cornstalk traveled to a fort in an area called Point Pleasant and tried to engage in peace talks with the colonists to prevent fighting. He insisted that peace was necessary because the British were trying to convince the other nations to join with them to oppose the colonists and that only he and his tribe stood in their way. I think this actually might be part of, like, a storyline in one of the Assassin's Creed games.
1: Oh, I know which one you're talking about, yeah. Yeah.
0: I love those games. They're great. Yeah. So, however, these, like, weird convoluted roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, his tribe was the only thing that essentially stopped this from kicking off. Now, he feared he could not hold them back much longer. Fearful, the colonists took him and his companions prisoner and detained them inside their fort. Chief Cornstalk was considered to be a skilled fighter and military genius and was greatly respected on both sides. By detaining him, the colonists hoped that they could prevent the Native Americans from attacking. Two days later, which was November 9th, 1777 Chief Cornstock's son ellen Elinipisco okay, Stick with that Visited the fort to see his father And was also Detained So now Dude was going there to be like Hey we should talk this out Why are you putting me in a cell Two days later, the son's just like, hey, where's my dad? Why are you putting me in a cell? The following day, November 10th, gunfire was heard near the Kanawha River. When soldiers from the fort went to investigate, they found that two men who had left to hunt for deer had been ambushed by Native Americans. One was dead enraged the soldiers burst into the quarters of chief cornstock and his companions and brutally murdered them as revenge as he lay dying on the ground chief cornstock is said to have uttered a curse on the land in which he died now these are the words supposedly he said i think they've been translated to english i don't think he said them in english i was the border man's friend Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refuse to join your pale-face enemies with the redcoats. I came to the fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered by my side my young son. For this, may the curse of the great spirit Rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in its hopes. May the strength of its people be paralyzed by the
1: stain of our blood. Who? Very dark and ominous.
0: Yeah, but like, justified still. Of course. Mm-hmm. All right, now strange events occurred later in history, such as a lightning bolt that twice destroyed a monument erected in honor of the colonists who fought for the Ohio River Valley. Uh, Cut up on the curse. When the Mothman appeared in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, many people were convinced that he was yet another punishment set upon the land from the angered spirit of Chief Cornstalk. that's pretty cool, though, right? Like, there's not really many other possible explanations where it's just, like, from a spiritual perspective and just, like, having that. There is so much history at Point Pleasant.
1: There is. It's really cool.
0: Why isn't it a bigger city? Well, the curse. Because of Mothman and the curse. I I, I knew the answer before I asked the question. Ah, that's terrible. Anyway, now, that's a pretty good explanation, spiritually. The prankster's the best one, logically, I think. Which one do you think... Well, which of these explanations is your favorite, Adi?
1: My favorite... Is yeah, maybe
0: not the one you believe the most, but the one you like the most.
1: I like the alien men in black. The eerie, I guess, is my favorite. Yeah? Yeah, but um, the most realistic is probably the bird. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah it could be the bird. I don't think mutated bird. I think just misidentified bird.
1: I, I agree, misidentified bird.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think.
1: What about yeah. you? I mean,
0: it's kind of a toss-up for me. Like, my favorite one is... Like, between... The Curse... And the superhero mutated moth... Turned into a man-moth... Creature. thing, Because that's just fun to think about. Just like, who doesn't want there to be a potential... To have superpowers and stuff like that... To where... A moth can become a person just learning how to fly and then becomes a crime fighter. That'd be fun.
1: That would be fun. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the curse
0: really hits like a lot of my like history, paranormal, and just like appreciation for story.
1: The trifecta.
0: Yeah, it really hits a lot of them. And I like it. But, yeah. Now, some might be asking, well, all this stuff happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s. What about now? Well, as for sightings of the actual Mothman, they have mostly declined since the late 60s. But every so often, a sighting emerges, such as in 2016, a man who just moved to Point Pleasant spotted a mysterious creature jumping from tree to tree. He claimed to local reporters that he was unaware of the local legend of the Mothman until he allegedly spotted the beast himself. Now whether these sightings are real or not, the Mothman can still be seen in Point Pleasant today, in the form of a historical museum. And also in the form of a 12-foot-tall chrome-polished statue, complete with massive steel wings and ruby red eyes. So they, like, went all out with this Mothman myth.
1: Yeah, the statue in the downtown area looks really cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Now, the statue is great. The museum thing with it is pretty cool. They have a festival commemorating the Mothman's visit.
1: They That's do, annual. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Like, it's a celebration that attracts locals and tourists and cryptid lovers and all that stuff. But it's every September, and the festivities celebrate one of America's strangest local legends that still has people scratching their heads to this day. And maybe there will be more on this later, but we're starting to run out of time, aren't we, Audie?
1: We are, but... I know that people flocked to this festival, and it's really, really cool. And there are more recent sightings in different towns. So we may get into different state sightings as well as uh, other kind of stories with Mothman in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. We shall see, perhaps. But that's what we have for today. Thank you for listening to... This is encrypted corner. This is just regular Violin Vice podcast. We did a whole cryptid on for a full episode, Audie.
1: We did, we did. But if you guys want to h- see more cryptids, head to our Patreon page. Uh, that's patreoncom backslash ViolinVice. and you could subscribe for as little as one dollar a month to hear John John tell you a weekly cryptid story. So, yeah. go listen Not to those. Nearly
0: as lengthy as this, and maybe a little bit more laid back. But I tried to bring some of that into this episode. Well, we'll see. How do you like it?
1: Yeah, I, l- I love listening to the Cryptic Corners. They're awesome. And then, if you hadn't picked up mid-episode, we do have a sponsor, so go check them out. They're on our sponsors page on our website. And also, you know, check out our merch, too. We got a lot of stuff. A lot of cool We've stuff. we got
0: sweatshirts, and t-shirts, and tank tops, and stickers, and pins. We've got stuff.
1: We do have a lot of stuff, so... If you guys, you know, buy something, I'll throw in a little something extra. And, yeah, I Mm. hope you guys enjoy. And, again, just check out our website, violentvice.com. It's through Podbean, so you might have to click the link to get there. But um, it has all our information there. So we have a Mm -hmm. plethora of stuff, a blog, and everything, too, if you guys haven't checked it out. So check it out.
0: All right. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Violent Vice Podcast. Cover art is by Colton Griffith, music by Ann Bell Ray and research done by Corinne Belvis You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Violent Vice Podcast or on Twitter at Violent Vice. That's V I L E A N D V I C E. No ampersands here. If you want to help support the show, please do so on Patreon at patreon.com backslash valenvice, or give us a once-off donation on PayPal with our email, valenvice at gmail.com. Again, that's V-I-L-E, A-N-D-V-I-C-E, to keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.